I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Hebrews and the sixth chapter. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question, and this sounds like a come on for a joke, but it's not. What do Jenny Craig, David Durenberger, and Miracle Ear have in common? I told you it sounds like a joke. It's not really. Fact is that all three of them either had claimed something or had claims made against them which were found not to be accurate. The same can be said with milk that supposedly cures cancer that we've heard about in recent days. When a claim is made, we expect that there will be grounds for that claim. We assume that it can be authenticated, that it's genuine. If a person claims to be a citizen of the United States, there ought to be proof of that, either in papers of naturalization or in a birth certificate. If one claims to have made a discovery in science, there should be some evidence of that. You you may recall that a few years ago there was a claim of cold fission, which was found to be false in the University, I think, of Utah, if I remember correctly. If one claims to be successful, there ought to be some evidence of success. I was watching a little league game this last week, and as one of the opposing team's runners came by, the opposing team, by the way, was ahead about 15 to 1. One of the fathers on our side was watching his son struggle as well under the load of 15 to 3 said to the opposing player on first base, uh, hey, you've got a pretty terrific team. He says, yeah. He said, what's your record? He said, 10 and 1. Well, you see, there was evidence they had a good team. The twins also claimed to be a good team. (laughs) If there is relationship and a claim to that, then there ought to be some kind of likeness to it. Sometimes we fathers look at our children and we say, too much like the old man. The same can be said regarding salvation. If one claims to be saved, claims to be a Christian, there ought to be some signs that that's genuine. In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, we read these words. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. That's the phrase I want you to note, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. There are signs that accompany salvation. It is the presence of those signs which authenticate the claim that a person may make to being a Christian. We should expect that genuine salvation will be accompanied by signs giving testimony to that truth. The absence of those signs caused Paul to challenge the Corinthians. 
He said to them, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. It is not enough to have been raised in a Christian family or a Christian nation or to go to a Christian church. We are challenged by the Word of God to examine ourselves to see if in fact we are in the faith. It's not our job to examine others, though we're often more proficient at that. It is our job to examine ourselves. Hebrews 6 verse 9 speaks of those things that accompany salvation. He compares them in the previous verse or two to a crop from land that is good. He says land that drinks in the rain, how we know much about that. Often falling, there's Minnesota, on it and that produces a crop useful to those who for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end it will be burned. Here we see an agricultural illustration. And he says good land is going to produce good crops. Bad land is going to produce thorns and thistles. Genuine salvation produces good fruit in the life of the person who is a Christian. If the claim is false, there will not be good fruit there, but only thorns and thistles of character. He tells us that the presence of these signs makes our hope sure in verse 11. It doesn't mean that we become more Christians because they're there, but that hope that we profess becomes more sure to ourselves and to those around us when the presence of these signs can be pointed to. The claim to salvation will surely be proven by signs that accompany it if it is genuine. There are three signs that accompany salvation as pointed out in our text. The first one is suggested in verse 12. It is a faith that matures. A person who is a genuine Christian will have a faith that matures. In verse 12, he speaks about imitating those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. The writer of the book of Hebrews was concerned that those who were professing faith in Jesus as the Messiah were lacking the signs that accompany that faith. Now he wants to think the best of them, and does, and yet through this book he gives strong warnings to them lest it be found that their faith is not genuine, that it only be superficial and not deeply rooted in their hearts. There is a severe warning that precedes the verses that we've read this morning in chapter 6. The text really goes back to verse 11 of chapter 5, and that's where I want to pick up a reading for a moment. The writer is unfolding some of the deep things of God regarding the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then he interrupts himself, so to speak, by saying in verse 11, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain, because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Now the language that he uses here is strong and severe language. What he is underscoring is this. The first sign that a person is genuinely a Christian is a faith that goes on to maturity. Faith grows in a genuine Christian. Now it may grow with varying rates, but there is growth. That is certain. It is expected. There's another strong warning back in chapter 3 in verse 14 when he says, We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Do you notice the if clause there? What is the sign that a person has genuinely become a partaker of Christ? It is that he holds firmly till the end the confidence that he had at first. There is a perseverance about his faith. All of us sadly can point to people that we know who have at some point in their lives professed faith in Christ and then have fallen away. And beyond that, there has been no evidence at all of salvation. Are they saved? Are they genuine Christians? Well, only God knows the answer to that. We're not called to be uh, judges of others in this ultimate sense. But the indications are that that faith was not genuine. Because a faith that is genuine, a faith that brings salvation, is a faith that perseveres and matures. It goes on to grow beyond the elementary things. A genuine believer will keep on believing. Now that is an act of grace in the part of that believer. It's nothing that he can brag about in himself. It is a work of grace that we continue to persevere in our faith. We cannot boast of it as though we did it. But the fact is that when one is genuinely a partaker of that grace, it will enable one to believe on to maturity. So the first sign that accompanies salvation is a faith that matures. There was a young book salesman 
who a number of years ago was assigned to a rural area to sell his books during the summer period. Some of you have worked those kinds of jobs. They're tough. This young man saw a farmer sitting on a rocking chair on his porch. And approaching this farmer with uh, all the zeal of a newly trained salesman, he said, Sir, I have a book here that will tell you how to farm ten times better than you're doing now. The farmer just kept rocking. Then in a few seconds he said, Son, I don't need your book. I already know how to farm ten times better than I am right now. See, he knew he just wasn't practicing it. There are a lot of people like that in the world. They know about Christ. They know about how to become a Christian. They know the, the, the story of faith. That when we trust Christ, we're born into God's family. They know that. They just haven't practiced it. Because if they have, they'll be farming. If they have, their faith will be growing. Their faith will be maturing. It will persevere. They will not fall away ultimately. Now there may be periods in their lives when they will not believe God as they should or when they will stumble in their faith. But they will not fall away from their faith. There's a second sign that we see in our text that accompanies salvation. Turning back again to chapter 6. In verse 10 he says, God is not unjust he will not forget your work. The second sign that I want to point to this morning that accompanies genuine salvation is this. Works that prove. Genuine salvation will inevitably be accompanied by works of righteousness in the life of the believer. Not that he cannot still sin and won't sin. Because as long as we are in this world, in this body, we still struggle with the reality of sin's power. But the fact is that a genuine child of God will produce in his life, God's grace working in him, good works of righteousness. Why is that? Because he's a new person. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 26. The book of Acts chapter 26. Here we have the testimony of the Apostle Paul. In Acts 26, he is speaking to King Agrippa, and in verse 20, he says this. Well, let's back up to verse 19 to catch the flow. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven first to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. This is not John the Baptist preaching. This is the Apostle Paul. This is not the Old Testament. This is the New Testament message of grace. 
Paul says, I preach that they should repent and they should prove their repentance by their works of righteousness. And so he writes to the Philippians, Continually work out your salvation. Paul isn't saying work for your salvation. He makes it clear that salvation is apart from works. It's a gift of God given by grace. We receive it by faith. But he says that when God has put that salvation in us, we are to work it out in our lives. The second evidence that one is a genuine Christian is works that prove it. James says, faith without works is dead. It doesn't have any reality, any life to it. He says, can that faith save anyone? And the answer that he expects is the correct one, no, it cannot. Faith that saves is accompanied by works that prove its reality. Salvation demonstrates its presence by the works of the life. When one trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, he becomes a new creation. God puts in the heart new desires. He gives us the Holy Spirit so there is a new power. And all of that newness creates new good works of righteousness. The second evidence that one is a genuine Christian. The second sign that accompanies salvation is works that honor God, good works that prove the reality of salvation being within. Again, I refer to the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Ephesians, for we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now remember, just before he wrote that, he said, by grace you're saved not by works, lest any man should boast. But then he says, you are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And the good works surely do follow in the life of the genuine child of God. Now there's a third sign that accompanies salvation in Hebrews chapter 6. Again, back to verse 10, where he says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. The third evidence of salvation, which is genuine, is a love that serves. Notice it is first directed toward God, supremely toward God, We love Him because He first loved us. The genuine Christian will love God. That will then become His highest motivation for all of His service in life. It will be His passion for serving others because He loves God. Many years ago, a well-to-do Christian went into a slave market and there paid a high price for a particular slave that he chose. Now this man abhorred the practice of slavery. 
And his sole purpose in buying the slave was so that he might set the man free. And so when the two men met for the first time, this wealthy Christian said to him, It is true that I bought you, but I did it only to free you from the terrible bondage that you have known. And then he handed to the other man his papers that guaranteed his freedom. The slave looked at the papers in his hands, and then his eyes went to the man who had paid the price for him. And he said, am I truly free? Am I on my own? May I do whatever I wish? His benefactor said, yes. That's why I bought you. So that you could be loosed from those chains forever. With tears coming down his cheeks, that slave fell at the feet of the man who had purchased him. And with heartfelt devotion, he said, Then my greatest joy and freedom will be to stay with you and to serve you. What a wonderful illustration that is of those of us who have been purchased out of sin by Christ. How our hearts love Him and worship Him because He has paid the price for us that we might be loose from the terrible bondage of sin. And that love for Him now becomes the highest motivation in our lives for whatever we do. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. It does the genuine child of God. Because the evidence that he is a child of God is that he has love. A new and different kind of love is a love for God that serves others. It is directed toward his people in helping them, as this verse says. Jesus said by this, All men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Evidence, proof, documentation for the child of God is love. John MacArthur's written, Keeping God as our focus and first love not only gives us the desire and power to love others and to serve them, but it also sustains us in our love and service. Only God's love has such staying power. Well, these are the signs of salvation. They are not the only signs of salvation, by the way, but they are the ones in the immediate context of this verse where the apostle writes, We are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. Now, I do not preach this message this morning to shake the assurance of any child of God who is here. I could not do that anyway. But if there be someone who has come this morning, even someone who may come regularly, and the signs that accompany salvation are not present in your life, then there is reason to follow the admonition of the Apostle Paul when he said, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because you see, where the lightning of faith strikes, the thunder of evidence will follow. 
I've heard sermons, and I've probably even preached some, that said you ought to be able to name a date or have a date in your Bible as to when you trusted Christ. And there are those who can do that, and I'm glad for them. But we ought not to depend upon a date in our Bibles for the assurance of our salvation. Nor ought we to depend upon a memory of some event or someone else's comments about the time when we trusted Christ. Because ultimately the only assurance of our salvation that really matters is that assurance that the Spirit of God gives within our hearts. That witness from Him that we are truly God's children. And that witness of the Holy Spirit can be found in what we've talked about this morning. It is that faith that He nurtures and causes to grow in our lives. It is the good works that He stimulates and empowers through our lives. It is the love for God that He produces, which then reaches out to our fellow man to embrace them and to serve them. That is the witness of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you the parable of the misguided goat. A goat wanted more than anything else in the world to be a lion. He told himself if he could learn to walk like a lion, talk like a lion, and go where lions go, he would be a lion. So he practiced stalking through the jungle and tried to swish his stubby little tail majestically. Then he sought to turn his pitiful little bleat into the deep, awesome roar of the king of the beasts. He worked and worked on it. Finally, he convinced himself that he really looked and sounded like a lion. Now, he said, all I have to do is to be a lion is to go where lions go. And so he marched into the lion's territory one day about lunchtime and was never seen again. You know, there are some people who think that they can just talk like Christians talk and, and walk like Christians walk and they sing Christian hymns and if they go to church, if they get baptized and go through all of those outward things, somehow they'll become a Christian. It doesn't work that way. We become a Christian on the inside by the new birth. The Spirit of God giving us new life which trusts in Jesus Christ as Savior. And then eternal life becomes real and one becomes a genuine child of God and there's evidence in the life of it. I preached this SOS message this morning. Lest there be someone here who has a faith without a foundation. I mean, the faith itself is strong, but it's not rightly placed. You may honestly believe that what you've done is going to get you to heaven. But though you honestly believe it, you've believed the wrong thing. A few years ago, a Midwestern hospital 
came to such a startling discovery. They had a marvelous water system in their building to extinguish fires. It was the up to the moment state of the art kind of of firefighting equipment. Beautiful polished valves in the hospital, well-placed outlets that were adequate to take care of any problem that should ever come up in that building. And for 35 years they felt secure because they had faith that that system would help them to conquer any fire. But after 35 years, it was discovered that the water main had never been connected to that system. That it went four feet down into the ground, and that was it. There was no water. The danger of unfounded faith. Genuine faith is accompanied by signs of salvation. There's evidence there to document the fact that we are children of God. Is there that evidence in your life this morning that you genuinely belong to Him? I'm persuaded, says the writer, I'm confident of better things of you, things that accompany salvation. Let's pray. It may be that as you hear this message from God's Word that your heart is troubled and you wonder, is my faith genuine? Has it been founded correctly? The fact is that I can't look into your heart and know the answer to that. Only you and God, as God enables you, can see whether that faith is genuine. Do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your heart? Is there documentation that you're a child of God? Can you prove that citizenship? You say you've discovered eternal life. What evidence is there of your discovery? Is there documentation for the claim? Friend, if there's not, this morning the safest thing you can do is to be sure. And today, place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. To stop trusting in things that you may have trusted in wrongly. Your church, the sacraments, your past. And to trust in the living Savior, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. Will you right now say something like this in your heart, Lord Jesus Christ? I believe that you died for my sins, and I turn from everything else I've trusted in in my life. I come to you alone, and I receive you into my life, and I ask you to give me the gift of eternal life and produce through me the evidence that I'm genuinely your child. My friend, there's no prayer that he delights more to answer than one like that. And now, Father, I pray that you will bring to a focus 
your work in every heart. And may that act that is in response to it be according to your will and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.